Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Michael Leader. I'm Hannah Strong. And I'm Cheyenne Bunsey. And on the show this week, Lady Gaga enters the high-stakes world of high fashion in House of Gucci, Reggie Yates is partying like it's 1999 in Pirates, and in Film Club, we're looking back at one of Ridley Scott's most notorious recent works, The Counselor. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Yes, welcome back, listeners. Welcome back, Hannah. Cheyenne, absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast for the first time. Thank you. Uh, since this is your first time, we like to go through the ritual humiliation of asking the big existential question, who are you and what do you do? Thanks. Um, who am I? Uh, so I'm a freelance film writer so I've done some stuff for Little White Lies uh, and I write for quite a few different publications and when I'm not writing about film so trying to get people to see things or not as the case may be uh, I'm a copywriter which means I'm trying to get people to buy things as the case may be (laughs) but yes that's me (laughs) persuading people to part with the cash in one way or another (laughs) pretty pretty much pretty much the the art of persuasion (laughs) Absolutely. So we'll see whether we'll be persuading anyone to go and see either of the new releases this week very shortly. Before we kick off reviews, though, Hannah, any news from Little White Lies Towers we should be aware of? Uh, Yes. If you're in the United States, you're able to go ahead and buy Adam Naiman's new book, which we worked on with him, uh, David Fincher, Mind Games. Um, It's kind of a big coffee table book all about Fincher, his films. It's uh, lovingly designed, much like our PTA and Coen Brothers books. And yeah, you should go ahead and check it out. Uh, it's out in the UK, I think, in about two weeks' time, beginning of December time. I'm not sure why there's a delay, but yeah, it's really good. Go ahead and uh, take a look, put it on your Christmas list, and that sort of thing. Oh, brilliant. And of course, the most recent issue of Little White Lies, the Titan issue, is out now. And Hannah, I think this is the first time you've been on the pod since that issue's been announced. You are the cover star of that, <laughs> yeah. that magazine. Yeah, my, my, my thigh is uh, known around the world now. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I uh, no, no, like, recognitions in the street yet, but, you know, we'll give it a few weeks. We'll see, we'll see how it goes. But, yeah, um, yeah, you can go and buy that copy. The film is out uh, end of December, so... We'll be talking about it more in the podcast, but if you want to kind of get the inside scoop in advance, it's uh, very much available for more good retailers. Yeah, we, we should say that it's a tattoo on your thigh that's on the cover <laughs> that you got in, in, in honour of Titan. I suppose this has been a couple of months now, maybe, since you got had that. Any regrets yet setting in with a tattoo? <laughs> no, no, I got it... Um, God, end of September time. So yeah, for me, it feels like a lifetime ago. Um, yeah, no, I love it very much. I, a friend of Little White Lies, uh, Sophie Mo, who's a tattoo artist at Parliament in um, uh, North London, she did the tattoo, and it's 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 pretty gnarly. It took about four hours, um, and now I love it. I no regrets, and uh, very happy to kind of break new ground for Little White Lies in terms of what we're putting on the cover. <laughs> Absolutely. And Sophie Moe's work is just incredible. So big recommendation to check out her tattoo work and design work. But that's enough about tattoos and Titan for now. 
Let's kick off this week's new releases with House of Gucci. House of Gucci is inspired by the shocking true story of the family behind the Italian fashion empire. When Patriziana Reggiani, Lady Gaga, an outsider from humble beginnings, marries into the Gucci family, her unbridled ambition begins to unravel the family legacy and triggers a reckless spiral of betrayal, decadence, revenge, and ultimately, murder. So, Hannah, the House of Gucci, when the trailer dropped for this, it did look like one of those all over the place, so bad it's good, so good it's bad, accents from <laughs> all corners of the world, kind of messes of a film. How did this, uh, how did this play out for you? Yeah, so me and Ridley uh, Scott have a history in terms of his films. I, uh, I, I, I do think he is one of the kind of last true um, auteurs out there. You know, he really goes his own way. And in an age of kind of um, soulless, corporate, blockbustery nothingness, I think he's always swung for the fences, even if it doesn't always work. And... This year, he has produced not one, but two uh, pretty pretty decent films, in my opinion. I really like The Last Duel. I think it kind of didn't get its uh, fair dues. Also suffered from having a really awful trailer, uh, kind of unwatchable. So I went into House of Gucci just kind of hoping that it would be uh, a good time at the cinema, very much thinking this looks like bad trash in like a fun way kind of on along the lines of the um ryan murphy true crime series that he's been doing and no one in the film despite being a family sounded like they were from the same continent even um jared leto again insisting on having the most insane prosthetics to kind of detract from the fact he's not a very good actor um just casting like the most like bizarre ensemble of characters like why would you cast jeremy irons as an italian the man can't do accents like it just you know uh, there were so many things that i was just kind of like sure i guess why not um and i'm kind of a bit of a true crime junkie um or i used to be less so nowadays because i think we have reached that point where it is just kind of um a bit of a content mill but um it's a really interesting story the kind of the not only the assassination of Maurizio Gucci, but um, the whole kind of 90s era of the company where the family were kind of uh, ousted and the brand started to kind of um, have a revival, I guess. They brought in Tom Ford and it really took off again. It kind of reached this new audience, became very provocative, but this was all without the association of the Gucci family who had to sell their shares to kind of uh, <laughs> recoup their losses from various things which the film does touch upon but yeah I, I had a good time with it it's nearly three hours long which I didn't I was convinced it was shorter than that because I was having such a great time I was really enjoying myself um, and I think that for all the kind of meme worthy bits in the trailer it is it's a solid and entertaining film. I think, you know, it's not without its flaws, which I'm sure we're going to dig into now. But um, I definitely was pleasantly surprised, given how little hope I had that this would be anywhere near half decent. <laughs> well, we can dig into the flaws in a second. But Cheyenne, what did you think of this? I suppose, from my point of view, I'm not fashionable in the slightest. I don't, know, I don't really care much about the fashion world. So is there something in this, the way it's told? What, how, how, do, how should we approach this film? Uh, I mean, I too am not fashionable, um, but I also kind of looked forward to it for the true crime element of it. Mm. Um, yes, I'm avid true crime fan. I will very happily throw on like 10 serial killers who are who have been released and go to sleep. Um, but yes, I kind of was like, it has everything. It's got true crime. It's got, you know, kind of like the trailer told me it was going to have betrayal, you know, sex, this, that, the other. And I was looking forward to it in a kind of, this doesn't look very good, but it looks really fun. And as long as it doesn't bore me, I'm going to have a really great time. Um, and I think I 
I liked it, but I really wanted to love it. Um, and I don't think I did. I think it, ugh, it kind of, it had every, all the ingredients, but I think just a lot of the structuring and the editing kind of got in the way of having kind of that unbridled fun that the trailer kind of like seemed to promise. Um, so that was kind of my, my, my main issue with it. I mean, like I said, I can forgive the accents. Um, I can actually forgive Jared Leto. I really can, which is hard. It doesn't mean it was good. It was, I think I went through a journey with Jared Leto where it was at the beginning where it was kind of like, oh, this is ridiculous. I, I don't know how I'm going to get through two, uh, just over two and a half hours of this. But I feel like... <laughs> when the issues with so some of the structuring felt very one minute it was going further lady gaga's giving it everything and we're maybe getting a kind of almost a character study of patricia but then all of a sudden we're back to jared leto as paolo and and it, it very random tonal shifts and edits um and it kind of got to the point where i feel like in the, the second third it started to sag and then I started to almost look, oh, famous last one, look forward to seeing Jared Leto because he would just bring it back up again, where it was like, oh, I don't really know where this is going. And I'm sad that I'm not enjoying it as much, but here's Jared Leto. He's going to come on and be silly. So I'll enjoy that for now. Maybe it will improve from there. So you'll be front row seat for Morbius in, uh, next year then. More, more Jared Leto for you. I suppose it's, it, is, it is interesting um, hearing Ridley Scott talk about this project. This was in, in sort of development for close to a decade. They had lots of different screenwriters on the project, lots of different directors on the project before Ridley Scott said, oh, well, go on then, I'll, I'll make this um, in my very quick, <laughs> well, only one or two takes required kind of style. But you're, you're there, you're... you're calling out some like actual real flaws there but it sounds like there are some of these flaws that do add to the fun of the film so what are the what are the sort of the, the fun flaws that we should look to is it the outsized performances or the accents tell us more about that please Shane. um yeah i think it is I, I think it's it's the the bigness of it all it's the spectacle of it all like it's kind of like you said it's you know it's a fashion house it's murder it's you know like i said it's it's in italy so it brings with it all the kind of things good and bad that you kind of assume uh, that this story is going to be about and there are some scenes in it that i really enjoy which are clearly really scott being like i'm going to have fun making this um i think Think they discussed it on Graham Norton that that kind of like sex scene between uh, Adam Driver and Lady Gaga is ridiculous but I love it like because it is just them saying we're having a good time and we're going for it and this is a big silly film and yeah some of this stuff really happened um, and I think that is a great thing about this film which is why again for all its flaws I did it. I did like it, and I, I, I don't think I could, I could fully ever be against it. I'm looking forward to watching <laughs> it again, actually. <laughs> okay, and um, Hannah, I can't remember. Does Adam Driver factor into the annals of Hannah's blokes, Hannah's lads, Hannah's boys? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he's up there. He's he's like top tier uh, in the the pyramid of Hannah's boys. Um, so that was another selling point for me. And also, it's such a tonal shift from his other films this year you know he did Annette and obviously was so good in Annette and then really great in The Last Jaw as well where he really plays a proper villain like even more so than um in like Star Wars I think The Last Jaw is his big kind of what a wrong in <laughs> role um so I was very much here for his like you know he, him playing a, a shy kind of meek character who goes undergoes this transformation when he marries Patrizia into, she's very much goading him into becoming the man that she wants him to be and becomes very um, kind of arrogant and very much like, I am Gucci. And it's, yeah, just a I, I really, a very, I feel quite a restrained performance in a film that is not, not full of them. Um, as Cheyenne says that Jared Ake is really going for it in this film in like quite a quite a compelling way not always a good way but it is like compelling yeah. 
just because you're like oh my god this guy <laughs> like what was the direction here or did he just come in like that and that was it you know he's playing this so Aldo Gucci is the kind of buffoon um he's the son of the um uh basically the character in charge of the family Al Chino's son and he has these uh, aspirations to be a fashion designer and he keeps saying it's a chic and uh, sounds like Super Mario and he is meant to be the kind of you know the the comic relief I guess within the film and I guess without him it would be a, a much like straighter uh, darker film but <laughs> With the addition of later, I mean, it is a kind of Marmite performance because at times I was like, oh, this is really fun and really kind of like I'm enjoying watching him just kind of like camp it up. But then other times I found him so irritating and so kind of overblown and over the top and just acting in a completely different film from the rest of the cast. You know, um, Lady Gaga and Adam Driver, I think, are taking it quite seriously. And I think Jared Leto thinks he's taking it seriously, but he kind of goes so far the other way. It just feels like he's in like a parody version of the story where no one else is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I am always here for a big bombastic film that supposed the kind of ridiculousness of well, I think it does do that. I think it, I, I made a comparison in my review, but it reminds me of Arrested Development, just in that we have this like very out of touch, very wealthy family, just arguing with each other for like two and a half hours and all kind of going, whoa, hey, whoa. And, and it's, you know, if I was Italian, maybe I would feel uh, kind of insulted by the, <laughs> the depiction of um, one of their kind of most famous families. But I think as a film about kind of family dynamics, as a film about the kind of never-ending quest for power and what you do when you actually get power, it's oddly prescient and interesting and I think does kind of expose some of the hollowness at the heart of the high fashion world, you know. we It's always talked about, like, oh, it's art, oh, it's, you know, it's, it should be respected and, you know, put in museums. But then you see people just arguing over whether or not to sell like handkerchiefs and cigarette trays in shops and you're like this is all money this is all business at the end of the day and I think yeah it was for me a very entertaining night out very kind of like trashy but in a delicious way sort of vibe and I do think at times it has genuinely moving moments there's a wonderful sequence kind of late on where they use this um aria from uh, the opera Madame Butterfly, which I thought was genuinely quite moving. And um, I think it earns those moments because it has the sense to not be like totally kind of po-faced. But I do think that might not work for everyone, that kind of tonal whiplash that the film has going on. I, I can't believe you've managed to speak for 15 minutes on this film and not talk about Lady Gaga. There's probably a good section of listeners who are shouting on <laughs> <laughs> their phones saying, what about Gaga? So uh, very quickly before we go on to scores, Shane, how, how does Gaga, how, how, how does she play here? Of course, She's... the big, her first big performance after the star, a star is born. I thought she was really good and for that reason I felt like she deserved the film to be a bit tighter, a bit better. I think she's still going to do really well out of this um, but I do think for all the effort that she clearly put into it and I was having a great time whenever she was on screen, um, you know, no matter what the problem was at the time with the film, she was always like, had me right back into it. I feel she deserved a little bit better but she was great. She was great. <laughs> Hannah, verdicts on Gaga? <laughs> Pro or anti, Hannah? Um. Uh. Yeah. I think she. I think she's good. I've kind of been a little. The shine has been chipped off by how much on the press tour she's been like. Oh, I was immersed in this role. Oh, I was Patricia. I started to like think that I had murdered my husband, and I was a bit like, "Come on, dear." <laughs> like you know. You're, you're standing next to like some of the great actors of their time, Jeremy Irons, Al Pacino, Adam Driver, 
they're not saying that. So I think musicians sometimes when they move over to acting can be a little bit, um, you know, a little bit overblown. But I do think, yeah, she, she's very compelling in the role. She's often very funny. She has this kind of wryness to her, which is very appealing. And it is a total 180 from A Star Is Born. So she's a rare instance. Very, she reminds me a lot of Cher, actually, in that I think she actually is quite a compelling screen presence aside from her star persona. And I am looking forward to um, seeing whatever she does next. But I do think, yeah, she takes herself very seriously. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's put some scores on House of Gucci. Hannah, I'll come to you first. In anticipation, enjoyment in retrospect. Uh, it was a three in anticipation, just because I think I was a bit wary of the trailer. It did, it, 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 I enjoyed the trailer. I think it's a very fun trailer, but I don't think it's necessarily a... Um, one that makes me think it's going to be a good film. Um, enjoyment is a four. I really did have a good time with this. I think it is a fun night out, particularly for anyone who um, maybe doesn't have to review it, doesn't have to think too deeply about it. I think you can kind of go in and just have a great time with the actors and the performances and looking at all the beautiful clothes. Uh, and in retrospect, I think a three, but it does have the potential to get to a four for me. Um, I will be going to rewatch it. I think it's got that kind of um repeat value for me which I look for the only thing is yeah I think it's just <laughs> much like the counselor I think it's one that's going to be quite divisive among Ridley Scott fans and I think it will probably be one of his that in future years there'll be people saying oh it's a classic oh it's a it's a masterpiece but um I can't quite I'm not quite at that like, stage yet <laughs> I do wonder what Ridley Scott fans call themselves. If Gaga fans are, were they little monsters? What's yeah. What's Ridley Scott fans <laughs> call themselves? Anyone has any suggestions, <laughs> uh, please email in. Um, Shian, what are your scores for Gucci? Uh, so anticipation, I would say a five. I saw the trailer and was like, <laughs> get me this film now. Um, again, purely because it just looked fun and it looked like it was like, if it's not going to be very good, then I don't have to worry about X amount of things that you do as a critic. You're kind of like, no, clearly I'm here to just be entertained. It was giving me all the quotables. Um, so yes, <laughs> could not wait. Um, enjoyment, I would say a three. Um, I feel because I can't bear to give it a two. Um, but I think three, it was, there was a lot to enjoy about it, um, but it didn't quite get towards where I feel like it should have got for enjoyment because of the structural issues. Um, and then retrospect, um, I'd say about three overall, where again, liked it, didn't love it. Well, there you have it, listeners. A potentially very divisive film. We'd love to know what you make of it if you see it this weekend. Please get in touch with us at the usual channels at LWLies on Twitter or truthandmovies at tcolondon.com via email. Up next, we're going to rewind to 1999 for Reggie Yates' Pirates. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. New Year's Eve, 1999. 
Capo, Tutan and Kid drive through London in their tiny Peugeot 205, pumping a live UK garage set from the stereo and arguing about their Averex jackets and naff-naff imports. As the 18-year-old step into adulthood, they know their lives and friendships are on the brink of change. Determined to end the century on a bang, they drive across the city in a desperate search for tickets for the best millennium party ever. So, uh, Shane, you, you wrote the review for this for Little White Lies. It's a, a you know an incredibly um, you know, persuasive review, uh, as we said up top, persuasive writers right there. But please introduce us to Pirates, because this is a very specific film in terms of what it's getting at, in terms of the period, the community, the generation, right? Yes, yes. So, yeah, as you said, it's it's 1999. It's three young boys who have just turned 18 that year. It's going to be their first year to be able to get into the club, which it, for a lot of kids, that is the ultimate goal. No more fake IDs. Um, and of course, it being the turn of the millennium, it's a time of change, not only in their lives, but you know, a change globally. Everyone's waiting to see if, you know, the computers will go nuts and kill everyone. Um, but generally, it's basically quite a simple story where it's just them trying to, one of them I think it is, it's Tutan who's trying to impress Sophie, a girl that he really likes um, and very stupidly kind of promises that they're going to get into uh, the twice as nice party at Club Coliseum, um, which is, uh, that club is a big part of like, of, of history really. Um, I would have been too young to get into Club Coliseum in 1999, but it was a place where my older cousins would have been either gone to or everyone spoke about. And basically that's what he promises Sophie. And then the so quite a quick short runtime film, but the whole film is really just them on a series of very silly escapades, trying to get these tickets, trying to get, you know, clothes to go there, you know, the latest Moschino clothes. Um, of the time and you know to go to the barbers get a trim um, all for him to be with the girl of his dreams at the tender age of 18 um, which is really <laughs> the story in a nutshell <laughs> it is yeah one of those great a great example of one of those all in one night yes that tightly structured films um so that's sort of the setup of it d d does it work was it a good film overall yeah i i think it does work i think it's one of those films where yes it definitely does like speak to a certain set of experiences so obviously this film was written and directed by reggie yates um who i i feel like i've known pretty much like all of growing up like he's always been on kids tv and and presented and so you know i, I kind of came to it like oh i don't know he does movies um but essentially for for reggie yates he said it was basically really just encapsulating the life in which he grew up in, which would be speaking particularly to Londoners and to black Londoners specifically. Um, and it was something that I could see a lot of how I grew up, because again, I grew up in London, North London as well. Um, and it is, again, like just that, it's that kind of thing where it's small, but everything feels big to you when you're when you're 18. Everything feels like it's the biggest and best thing in the world. And when things don't go to plan, such as, you know, I've promised this girl tickets to something I can't possibly get into, it's the end of the world. Um, and I think it works so well, particularly because of its three leads, where they really bring that authenticity to it. They have great chemistry together. It's a lot of the script is, it's a lot of very fast lines delivered, um, a lot of punch lines and, and, you know, young boys joking with each other and just kind of, you know, carrying their friendship through the, through the evening. And, you know, I think it, I think it comes together, one, because it's authentic, two, because I think it is very heartfelt. You can tell that this is a film for people who, one, love garage music. Um, so there's a lot of tribute to some of the great garage music songs um, from Wookie, from Lonyo. So it, it's one of those ones where if you go and see it in the cinema uh, and you're into that kind of thing, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's a crowd pleaser. It's a good energy. It's a good vibe. Um, and I think it works just generally because I feel like it does really transport you back to 1999. There are a few jokes in there about, um, 
were Tamagotchis. And I think the funniest one for me was when Google, uh, which one of them refers to as Gugu, uh, and says, like, what, what, what is that? And one of them says, oh, it's something that we, we just learned at uni. Um, so it does a lot of kind of looking back at that time and you can kind of laugh about where we all are now. Is that, is that a better place? Who knows? But um, it, I think it works on that level as well. Yeah, it's it's not my scene at all. Not my set of nostalgia in terms of the music and the you know, the, the specific setting. Of course, I did pick up on things like Tamagotchi and Tekken. The idea of seeing in New Year's Eve just playing on your PlayStation rather than going out. Um, but something that's quite you know, this is a debut, and we do we did you do you know, we do have a relationship with Reggie Yates because of his TV and radio hosting. But he is an industrious young man I mean he's not such a young man anymore we, we tend to think of him still as being in his 20s but he's actually you know he's, he's in his late 30s now he's made documentaries he's made shorts he's really a, a hard worker but what's amazing in this debut is that sense of enthusiasm and character really comes through so even if this is a short film it's not a greatly ambitious one on the level of something like House of Gucci you really do get that sense of energy and charisma coming through the screen and it's a very well cast film I thought were, were there any members of the cast that you'd shout out Sharon? Um, I think I mean I think all three of them did like a really really good job but um, if I had to shout someone out it probably would be uh, Raider um, who plays uh, Kidder which is yeah. you know he's the, the fast talking kind of troublesome or more troublesome one of the bunch i feel like he really is the glue that holds everything together he has you know a lot of the the quite funny moments in there and a lot of that hangs on his delivery mm -hmm. absolutely i really like i think jordan peters that's the great thing about a film yes. like this where very few of the i've seen very few of the actors or maybe even any of them in anything before so, but now it's a good calling card for them. I'll be looking out particularly for Jordan Peters as two, sure. as you say, is the um, wannabe Lothario, the wannabe yes. romantic lead. Yes, he's, he is, he is <laughs> very <the>. funny. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, what did you make of, of Pirates before we go to the scores? Any, any notes from you? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that my mileage varied because I am not like a garage person. I It's not my scene and... I do think that some of it kind of relies on you liking that music and understanding that scene. But I was pleasantly surprised as someone who doesn't like that kind of music, I still got a lot out of it. I think it is, it's a great kind of, you know, we're so used to seeing American coming of age films and a lot of like, um, I'm thinking of like Superbad, which is another film set over the course of one night where it's just like this group of guys trying to kind of have the best night of their lives. And I think that Pirates, is although being set before Superbad, it's a much kind of kinder film. It's it's not as mean and not as misogynistic, which is really refreshing to see. Um, and I think as someone who grew up watching Reggie Yates on uh, children's TV, he was like a mainstay of my childhood. I'm really thrilled to see him kind of uh, finding his feet as a director. And it reminded me a lot of um, a very tonally different film, but of uh, Four Lions. And I think equally, a British film made on quite a modest budget that managed to really like give you a sense of place, but also found this group of actors who really work so well together and have this charm and charisma that really just comes, flies off the screen at you. And you really do believe them as friends and you root for them, even if you're thinking like, oh, it's not, not my scene. Um, and I think it's because we've all been in that kind of situation as teenagers where we just want to go to the best party. You just want to impress our mates. And that feeling of kind of, um, lostness, it's <laughs> not a word, but you know, when you get to 18 and the whole world is in front of you and you're like, I've completed school, what do I do now? And particularly, I think in London, it's kind of, well, where do you go? London's like the center of the world. Where do you go after that? So that idea of, are we going to be mates? You know, once we all kind of go off out into the world is very relatable. And as many directors say, the smaller you make something, the bigger it kind of folds out to be. So I think by kind of honing in on his experiences, Reggie's really managed to make a film that I think a lot of people will be able to see themselves in. And it's just really refreshing to see a British debut, which is so kind of self-assured and so confident. And I, yeah, I, even though not particularly to my tastes, I think it's a really strong debut, really funny. And I'm very happy that, uh, 
Reggie is kind of getting his uh, name out there as a director now. Absolutely. Let's put some scores on Pirates then. Shane, I'll come to you first. Uh, yeah, so anticipation, um, I'd give it a three. Uh, so again, you know, I, I was like, oh, I know Reggie Yates, but I, I don't know him in that way. So um, let's see what let's see what this is about. So yeah, I'd say a three. Um, enjoyment for me as someone who does love the UK garage scene and was able to pick out all the cameos and the songs and this and that. Um, it was a five for me. Um, I felt like, yeah, again, it was refreshing. It was brilliant energy and again it was an experience that like i'm very very familiar with and just loved to see on screen um and then in retrospect i would give it a four um so again it's just a great slice of like british life and of london life and you know it's again a really great instance of showing that there are stories from other communities that are very British and can also be universal experiences, even if you're not necessarily into that musical culture or from that community as well. So, yeah. Hannah, what are your scores? Um, I think it's probably threes across the board with a caveat that I think my in retrospect may change to a four because I've only, I only saw it two days ago. So it's still quite fresh in my mind. Um, and I think that although it isn't, as I said, it's not quite for me. I do, I do think it's as Sharon has said, it's it's very important that we see more of these like coming of age stories from different corners of the UK that don't just center the kind of you know middle class white experience. And I did love all the kind of like nods to like when you're a teenager from a working class background, kind of what you have to do to like get through the door and yeah I, I think that um I can see Reggie kind of going on and um making a real name for himself as a British director and um the actors within the film I think uh, are definitely ones to watch I think in like five years we'll be saying oh yeah remember them in Pirate that was their like um remember John Boyega in Attack the Block moment yes. where, where the, the, the real ones know, you know. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and I think, yeah, Jordan Peters is actually, he was a real kind of like standout for me. I'm, I'm super excited to see what he does next. Yeah, so for me, it would be threes across the board as well, but with that similar caveat where it's, it, this is a very fresh movie. It's great to see a, a new voice in Reggie Yates coming to the screen and being so assured in that giving us something different than what we usually see when we uh, delivered uh, our slate of British debuts every year um, and also I, I love it when a film just gives you a bunch of new actors to look out for in the future so I'd, listeners I'd recommend going and reading Shane's review on lwlies.com as well because uh, that's another great way into the film we've also had one of those weeks where the, the lead film is almost double the length of the second film so <laughs> listeners if you have only an hour and a half free over the weekend or if you have four hours free three to three and a half hours free <laughs> or whatever it would be to watch um house of gucci with trailers and bus ride home we've you know we've got you sorted either way but that is <laughs> pirates and house of gucci our new releases this week let us know what you think of them if you see them at the usual channels up next we have film club and we're going back to ridley scott's the counselor A Texas lawyer looking to score big in a cocaine deal originating in Mexico gets in way over his head when a dead courier turns out to be the son of one of his clients. But while he manages to escape south of the border, his partners and his fiancée are brutally killed. Spoilers, sorry. <laughs> That's the whole second half of the film in that synopsis there. Um, I'm sure we're okay. This film is uh, a decade old. I'm thinking back to this when this film came out and everyone was very baffled by it. It had quite a bit of hype behind it. A very starry cast. Michael Fassbender, Cameron Diaz, Javier Bardem, Penelope Cruz, Brad Pitt. It was Cormac McCarthy writing his first original screenplay off the back of that little phase where The Road and No Country for Old Men were made into films. And then Ridley Scott at the time where he had, had he just made Prometheus? He was at a very interesting stage in his career and people seemed to be quite baffled about it on <laughs> release. Hannah, did you see it on release or was this a first watch for you this time around? What did you make of it? Yeah, first watch, I actually watched it a few weeks ago um, prior to watching House of Gucci. I did a The Counselor and The Canyons double bill. Uh, wild work from uh, study to 
auteurs double bill for Hannah. Um, it, yeah, what, well, what a, what a film. <laughs> it's definitely one of those. It's definitely a film. I actually read the screenplay a while ago because they published it as a book and I picked it up thinking it was just a Cormac McCarthy book and then was like, oh, I've bought a screenplay. Um, but I actually, um, it's one that I haven't kind of been able to stop thinking about since I watched it. It's a very uh, strange, very sad, very brutal film uh, that's incredibly cruel to most of its characters, oftentimes with seemingly no good reason. Um, and also kind of reminded me what a talented actress Cameron Diaz is, and it's very sad that she's kind of retired now. But I did appreciate that it gives her this role. So she plays Javier Bardem's uh, girlfriend, uh, this kind of like gangster's mole, and she's so nasty in this film. Like, just absolutely out for number one. And that's not really something I think we've ever got a chance to see from her before, uh, playing this very much in the vein of kind of um, uh, fatal attraction, base, basic instinct, you know, the, like the femme fatale. Um, reminded me a lot also of um, Sharon Stone in Casino. And she's she's completely compelling, even when she is um, having sex with the windshield of a car. Um, for the uh, for those interested parties, I saw this after watching Titan, and um, I was talking to Charles Romesco, a friend of the pod, about it, and he actually asked Julia Ducanet if she had seen The Counselor. She had not seen The Counselor. So, um, fascinating little tidbit for anyone there who's seen Titan. But yeah, I, I, I totally understand why this flop. It, for, for just kind of a normal, like, multiplex Friday night crowd, they would have gone into this like, what the hell just happened? All these like big celebrities in this horribly brutal film. It's you know, it, it's fascinating that he managed to convince all these people to do it. Don't know what they thought they were signing on for. But but that's why I I suppose it's riding the coattails of No Country for Old Men, which uh, only a few years previous <laughs> to this had been quite an Oscar player. So when they say the guy who wrote the book that was based on has written an original screenplay and i'm sure ridley scott at this point just was he still is on that amazing he's that engine that he has you you call him an auteur hannah but generally an auteur is somebody who you believe to be like writing and directing has a sort of you know camera stilo as the french would call it but ridley scott is more just an auteur as industry he just keeps making movies and can make these films happen and you you, you look back on and read the interviews at the time and he made this for something like $30 million, he said. He made it for, for pennies compared to the other films he was making at the time. It was almost entirely shot in the UK and Europe. So all of those sweltering Mexican landscapes <laughs> actually very cannily used European uh, t- terrains. But it's yeah, it, it's a real testament to the fact that Ridley Scott seemingly can get anything he wants made within the studio <laughs> system as it stood then. And who knows now, with Fox going away, being being bought out by Disney, will that some doors be closed to him in the future? But it is a baffling film. Shane, were you baffled? Did you, or were you one of the one of the truthers who think that this is secretly a great movie? I was I was very baffled. I I spent most of the film very loosely clinging on to like, okay, so what is going on? And wondering if I was watching it incorrectly, because I was like, I don't really understand. Like, I I base understand what is happening. I can see what's happening on my screen, but I still, I'm very very confused. Um, yeah, it's a it, it's a it's a strange film. Um, it's kind of like a shady underworld kind of episode, um, but I just kind of felt very detached from it. Um, again, it's it's a very starry film, and it's got people in there that I like, but I just I just did not really feel I just didn't feel there was any reason for me to really care what was going on. Um, I know I felt like Michael Fassbender was doing his best, you know, with you know he's the counselor who's you know whose name we never find out, um, you know, and it's it's very much a kind of you know you can't just be a lawyer to all these people without you know these bad shady people without consequences um but it still just didn't quite connect it didn't quite give me any reason um you know when all these horrible horrible things start unfolding um it just seemed quite like well that is very unfortunate 
um, and, and that's about it. Um, and I was quite confused as uh, with Penelope Cruz as, as his girlfriend because I just kind of felt like, what a waste of Penelope Cruz. I don't really understand like why because she didn't really have much to do. Um, so yeah, it was it, it was a confusing film for me. Um, plus Javier Bardem looking like a GTA video game character. Um, <laughs> that was pretty amusing. But yeah, it, it was it was peculiar from from start to finish for me. Yeah, I, I think it's confusing by design. It's trying to do that inherent vice thing mm. of following protagonists through a world they don't fully understand and you're not supposed to understand. But then this is a film that was cut to ribbons. The original, well, the director's cut or what Ridley Scott would have rather released was two and a half hours long and they cut full half hour out of this. But also I do think that Cormac McCarthy is a, a great prose writer, perhaps isn't the best sort of screenwriter and, and sometimes where you have those, you have to play off the understanding of the characters against the understanding of the audience, the dramatic ironies of all that, and also some of the strange flourishes in the style of dialogue and the way that whole scenes would be derailed by anecdotes that seemingly go nowhere. It's a very distinctive work from all involved, but when you're trying to, for the first half of the film, figure out what exactly is the deal that they're getting into and why is the counsellor suddenly, after being the lawyer to these drug lords, buying in on on this deal? And that's something that, at the time people thought that the counsellor was getting in a drug deal just to buy a diamond ring for his fiancée. And Ridley Scott said, oh, it's all these kids with cell phones who don't understand anymore. Uh, that's not why he was getting in. You don't need to know why he's getting that suddenly changed, changed his mind and getting in on these deals. But I think that's the sort of thing that when you're <laughs> trying to do an intrigue-filled film, maybe we do need a little bit more help sometimes. But uh, definitely an interesting one that takes no prisoners, a, fil- a film like this, I think. But it is this is one I haven't seen the director's cut, but there are some fans of The Counselor out there who say that, like with other Ridley Scott films, where maybe because he makes films quite quickly and likes to give the studio what they want with the theatrical cut he then goes and releases a director's cut on home video a few months later they say it's all the answers all the questions are answered in the director's cut so if we have two and a half hours hannah sheehan maybe we should go and watch that and come back and report back (laughs) apparently that opening sex scene is twice as long in the uh (laughs) in the in the director's cut so there's more time under the bed sheets with michael fassbender So, Hannah, before we go, are you going to be getting a tattoo of this film? Oh, you know, yeah. A full portrait of Javier Bardem's face right on my other side. Yeah, no, you know what, though? I I, I feel like the cheetahs would make a great tattoo. That, that, that wonderful sequence of the yes. cheetahs in the desert. Oh, that, that, I think, is the highlight for me. <laughs> before we bow out on Ridley, we should say, of course, that The Last Duel, which we didn't cover on the podcast, uh, is coming to Disney Plus very soon. I think it's 1st of December. That's a very quick turnaround. So if, so funny um, that it's going to Disney Plus. Yeah. I know that, like, you know, the Fox thing, but it's just like, the least kind of, it's, it's a slog, but I found it incredibly rewarding. Would highly exactly. recommend it. I think off the back of, yeah, I think off the back of all of the conversations, I'm very intrigued to finally see it. I didn't get the chance to see it in the cinemas. But Hannah, would you shout out any other Ridley films that maybe you watched in prep for these reviews? Oh, um, that's a that's a good question. You know, I I actually think I mean, I, I, you, you know, it, it's a classic of the genre. But I watched I rewatched Gladiator recently. My God, does that film hold up? What a masterpiece! And I'm super excited. You know, he's going over to Apple now. His next film was with Apple, um, Kit Bag, which is Joaquin Phoenix and Jodie Comer. So I can't wait to see that. His big Napoleon epic that he's been wanting to do for a long time. Uh, yeah, I mean, I love him. I, I really do. I think that for all his old man rants about the kids not understanding and not having the attention span, I do think um, he's a real a real force of nature and we're going to miss him when he's gone. So um Get on the Ridley train, people. <laughs> it's the future. <laughs> Shane, do you, would you recommend any Ridleys? I was going to say, like, Gladiator is will forever, forever ever be a favourite of mine, uh, which is why, no matter how much he shouts at us, um, and also, I, I personally feel like I needed my cell phone to understand the counsellor. So <laughs> I'm just putting that out there. Um, but yeah, like, watch if you haven't seen the gladiator go and watch the gladiator or if you have 
watch it again because you'll love it. It's great. Um, yeah, I, I agree. He is one of the great directors out there, whether you like or love him, uh, love the things that he puts out. You know, th there's very few people like him. There are very few people like him. I'm a bit of a fan of Alien Covenant. I think there's a great gothic horror movie in the middle of that before it all goes derailed at the end. All of the stuff that happens in Michael Fassbender's Jedi Cave. <laughs> Fantastic. I love that film. Pro probably a little bit off the beaten track. Something like Gladiator is more of a safer bet, I think. I've not watched that film <laughs> in maybe 20 years. It was my, I th probably my mum's favourite film, in fact, Gladiator. Love that. <laughs> we had the soundtrack and that's probably why I was a bit overexposed to Gladiator because we heard that soundtrack on no such thing for years <laughs> why would you have that in, in rotation it's such a like so I just imagining like baby Michael just in the house like honour him playing in the background just uh, wonderful I mean, scene you say baby Michael it was mopey teenager Michael by that point <laughs> definitely not my vibe but anyway, <laughs> listeners, let us know what you make of Ridley Scott, The Counselor, Pirates, House of Gucci, all the things we've talked about this week at the usual channels, truthandmovies at tcolondon.com, or you can tweet us at LWLies. Hannah, Cheyenne, thank you for joining me. It's been such a pleasure talking with both of you today. Next week, we have Stephen Graham in the kitchen in Boiling Point. We have the new Mike Mills movie, Come On, Come On, and a Christmas classic for film club, The Shop Around the Corner. Listeners, please subscribe wherever you pod, and if your podcast player of choice lets you leave reviews, we'd love you to leave one for us. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Truth and Movies is a Little Dot Studios production for Little White Lies. It's hosted by me, Michael Leader, produced by Jake Cunningham and Harold McShiel, and edited by Steph Watts and James Payne. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.